Hello and welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. I'm Andrea Downey, Senior Reporter for Digital Health, and joining me today is Chief Executive of NHSX, Matthew Gould. Good morning. In July 2019, NHSX was officially launched as the unit to oversee digital transformation in the NHS. Health Secretary Matt Hancock said the unit will bridge the gap between the worlds of healthcare and technology, and I think we can all agree that that's something that's been arguably quite a challenge in the past. Following its launch, NHSX revealed it had five key objectives to focus on. Reducing the burden on clinicians, giving citizens the tools to access services directly, ensuring clinical information can be accessed safely wherever it's needed, aiding the improvement of patient safety, and improving NHS productivity with digital technology. It's also committed to developing open standards so that innovators can build on them in order to quickly scale technology through the NHS. Matthew is here to give us an update on what's been going on since the launch and where we're at with these objectives. So Matthew, how have your first few months in the job been? Uh, hectic. There's, <laughs> th- there's a lot to do. It's an incredibly exciting agenda. And I mean, look, fundamentally, we're trying to do three things at the same time. We're trying to keep all the programmes that we had in flight working really well. And they have, we've continued to deliver on those and we can come on to that. We can, uh, we've been working to build up the team and the expertise and the bandwidth we need at the centre to do the job the system wants us to do. Um, and we've been preparing to do new stuff, which I hope will start to come online in the new financial year. Fantastic. So can you give us a teaser of what the new stuff is? Well, um, Secretary of State Matt Hancock has um, already given us a teaser. He's talked about, I think, three things in public, which I would pull out as being particularly interesting. So one is his announcement on login times, um, which is, uh, I think, an answer to the really heartfelt uh, feedback I got and others in Matt has got when we've gone around the front line. I think of all the tech complaints and requests, that came absolutely top. Now, what we've announced is not going to solve login times for everyone. It will make, I think, it's, it's, we have a plan and it is the, the resource we've allocated is sufficient to make a really good impact across a lot of the system. Um, but just to be clear, where you have uh, a trust, a bit of a front line, which has incredibly old laptops, hasn't invested in its hardware, the network is insufficient, the data storage is done somewhere weird or whatever it is, if you have a combination of those factors, then the problems go deeper than, than this. So the login, our login work will make a real difference. It won't solve it for everyone. So that's one thing we're going to do. A second thing uh, that he talked about was move in frontline digitization to the next chapter. So we've had the chapter on global digital exemplars and we've got a, a bunch of those set up different in acute trusts, uh, ambulance trusts, mental health trusts and so forth. They've been brilliant. They've done the job we wanted to, them to do, which is to get um, a, a, some really fantastic best practice set up. But I think it's now the message I heard at the front line was it's time for the next chapter, which is so we've got the exemplars set up. We now need to turn our attention to the rest and the large number of uh, trusts that um, want to digitize that um, need a bit of help in doing so. I think the, the next chapter is going to be about them. 
Um, and then the third element that the Secretary of State talked about was um, setting out with clarity what good looks like. Mm. That's what good looks like for different providers, whether you're uh, a GP surgery or an acute trust or a mental health trust. Um, and then that being part of um, what everyone is, what leadership across um, the front line is expected to do and it feeds into the yeah. CQC as the Secretary of State said as they do their inspections and it'll feed into how we all see what the what leadership needs to do because for me I think the biggest uh, insight I've had and it's a, it's a statement of a blinding obvious um, for people who've been in the system but it's come home to me with real force and clarity the longer I do this job is this, if tech is seen as something separate Mm. that the IT people can get on with and leave everyone else to get on with what they do, this will fail. Yeah. And not only will this fail, but I think we won't achieve the objectives in the long-term plan, whether it's reducing the number of outpatients or uh, increasing the number of GP appointments or whatever it is. Mm. For the NHS to achieve what it needs to achieve tech needs to be integrated into the whole for the tech to work it needs to be integrated into what everyone else is doing so we need to move to a world we need to get to a world where right across the system from the center to the front line leadership is involves tech incorporates tech integrates tech mm. rather than has tech as something separate as i think has sometimes been the uh, the temptation yeah, I mean, that's quite a culture change as well across the entirety of the NHS. How how are you planning on achieving that and how are you going with it? So one of the, one of the best bits of advice um, I've had is that actually this is, and again, if you've been working in this space, it's a statement of the bleeding obvious, but um, this is much, much more about people than it is about the technology. Mm. And we always say that, but if you look at the pattern of investment, there is a natural, understandable skew towards investing in the technology. I think what we need to do is live by that insight, which means properly investing in um, bringing um, the, 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 the workforce of the NHS um, to a point where um, it is uh, comfortable mm. with the technology, making sure that leadership at the centre and front line um, has has had the chance to um, think about and get familiar with what we're we're doing. There's a certain there's a there's I think an agenda of um, communication, uh, training, building of communities, building of professions, all mm. the people stuff which I think if, you, if you're not careful, you can call the soft stuff, but actually is what will mean, what will determine whether all this succeeds or yeah, fails. Works, yeah. So let's focus on those three individual announcements um, one by one. Let's look at the logins. Uh, £40 million sounds like quite a lot of money to most people, but in the NHS, it's actually not a huge amount of money. Do you think that's going to be enough to improve logins across the entire system or do we need a bit more? It'll have a material impact in um, one p- 
part of the spectrum. So um, I think there are some trusts which have already deployed uh, one of the solutions that are on the market for um, improving login times. Um, And fundamentally, I don't want to get hung up on individual solutions. Mm. What we need is for staff, particularly clinicians at the front line in busy and stressed situations to be able to get onto the systems they need as quickly and painlessly as possible yeah, uh, and not have to use too much of their bandwidth remembering 40 passwords. <laughs> um, yeah. There are a bunch of solutions on the market that work in different circumstances. Um, ranging from a sort of really simple password vault to something much more thoroughgoing. What we, the piece of work we need to do, and this is going to be a, a project for the next financial year, so we are really working hard before that to try and work out the plan exactly and get it all ready to go, is um, what solutions are appropriate for what bits of the system. Mm. As I said before, I think there are some bits of the system where bluntly the lack of investment, the tech debt, is so high that putting in place a relatively thin um, login or single sign or whatever solution on top of that is not going to be sufficient. It might help at the margins, but the problem go deeper than that. Now, in those situations... I think the issue is 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 is, is wider, and the, the, what we're doing could have an impact, but it won't be the whole solution. Mm. In other places, I think that what we've seen in the trust, and I've seen this in action in a bunch of places, when it works, it can work really well, and really improve the um, the, the the experience of staff it can improve their ability to focus on the patients and not fighting their technology and so look in answer to your question it won't be the whole solution everywhere it will be a decent part of a solution in enough places to make a difference yeah do you know how the money will be spent at the moment is it something that trust can apply for or have you got sort of a, a set way of handing out the funding that we've been given we're working all that through yeah Uh, I mean as I say I want us to be ready to go in the new financial year Mm -hmm. and I think one of the things NHSX is doing and it's obviously been it's not obvious to the outside which is impatient for these solutions is getting these things ready to go Mm. yeah so the other one you mentioned tech debt um, and obviously we've had the GDE programs to help those who have the means to implement all of these new technical solutions. But obviously there's been some trusts that haven't had that support. And it's something you've mentioned quite a lot in your keynotes in the last six months, is that you want to focus on the have-nots. Is that something that this new digital aspirant programme is going to be doing? Yeah, so that's really exactly what what it'll be for. We're still working out exactly how it'll work. Uh, I'm very keen um, we shouldn't... Um, make it a a deeply painful exercise to be part of we need to design it in a way where we we do a proper amount of assurance a proper amount of prioritization but we don't the 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 time taken to apply for it and be part of it isn't disproportionate I'm also keen 
that this should be about system digitization as well as provider digitization. Mm. I mean, clearly, um, individual trusts will will be will remain an absolutely core unit for doing this. But as we move to a world of ICSs and the system becomes more important, we need to make sure that systems are digitization, not just individual providers. Yeah, of course. Um, so the CQC assessments was also something that was quite interesting. Um, obviously, Matt Hancock said he was going to design this model of excellence. Um, and CQC is going to start assessing trusts and providers against this model of excellence. Do you know when this is going to come through? So we are starting the process of working out how this should work. And what I'd say is um, several things. First of all, this will work if the criteria that we're developing to be, for example, good and excellent in digital transformation in a mental health trust, if all these criteria are co-designed, co-created with the front line and not just imposed on them. So we've been recruiting for a new CIO, a national CIO, um, and um, a core part of that person's job will be to lead this exercise, but crucially, not just to sit in a room in Skipton House and work out the answer, but to lead a national conversation with colleagues across the front line on this. Um, So point one, this has to be co-created if it's mm. going to work, so, which means it'll take longer. I mean, look, we, we could sit in a room this afternoon and probably come up with something half decent, <laughs> but it wouldn't work. So this, it's, yeah. we're going to take longer over it to make sure that it's co-created, that it benefits from the insights across the front line and that we do it right. Yeah. Secondly, although the Secretary of State said that he wants CQC to incorporate it, what I don't want is for this simply to become p- part of a process, the, the end result of which is a big stick beating people with. Mm-hmm. I think the CQC are really keen to incorporate it in their their frameworks, but this is not this ought not fundamentally to be about you do this or else. Yeah. It ought to be about this is a collective sense of where different providers need to different systems need to to get to. And it should then be part of what leadership across the NHS wants to do and the core part of what leadership across the NHS is with the, the, um, the CQC element of it being a part of how we assure ourselves that it is actually happening. Yeah. So at the moment, we don't quite know the criteria that the CQC would be assessing against and how they would be like conducting these assessments. Not only do we not know, but we are intentionally going to do it in a way which brings the front line with us, which means not resisting the temptation to say, mm. well, it'll definitely be the following six things. Yeah. Okay. Because I think if we do that, we start to, to lose people. And yeah. this, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm learning... Um, my way around the system and how this works but one of the things I'm absolutely clear about is unless we bring people with us and they feel this has been done with them rather than to them it's not going to work yeah so those are three you know fairly positive announcements we have come out over the last month but something that uh, has sort of maybe sparked a bit of controversy and a bit of concern among, among some people 
is the meetings with sort of big tech and pharma companies about creating a national patient database. Uh, that I think the figure was £10 billion that it was valued at. Um, and I understand you were at those meetings. Are you able to tell us any more about what happened or what the plan is for this database? Well, look, um, several things. Um, first off is um, to say... Um, the figure you've mentioned was, uh, as I understand it, it's uh, an EY figure, yeah. um, not a government figure. Yeah. So they put that in a report. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, whatever we do, the privacy of patients is going to be absolutely paramount. And I am very clear that um, this, this is non-negotiable. Um, and we need um, patients to feel and the people looking after those patients to feel that we are properly fulfilling our role as the custodian of their data. Mm-hmm. Um, third element is I think um, we, whatever we do will be done openly with uh, mature and sensible discussion about how we do it, um, about um, what safeguards we have in place, about how we ensure that anything we do properly protects patient data and benefit accrues back to the NHS. And all this is being done for the public good and the good of patients. And, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I talked about getting ready for doing think new things in the new financial year. One of the things that we will have in place will be uh, a centre for expertise, mm. which will be set up precisely to advise trusts and the system on how they can, how any arrangements they make on data have proper safeguards in, have proper... Um, uh, avoid any trap of exclusivity um, and ensure that uh, benefits come back sufficiently to the National Health yeah. Service. So we're setting up uh, the centre. We've published principles uh, that should um, guide this work. Um, we have sent a clear message, my colleague Simon Eccles sent a message to uh, Trust to say nobody should be doing any deals that... Uh, allow exclusive use of data. Mm. So, look, in terms of precisely where we go and what, what we do, um, I don't know. It's still yeah. early. But we will go according to these principles of protecting patient privacy, doing things openly and having sensible and mature discussions both with staff and patients about what we're doing and making sure that sufficient benefits accrues back to the NHS in anything course, we do. yeah. Are you worried about repeating the failings of care.data with this? So no one wants to repeat care.data. <laughs> um, and I think there are lessons there about um, both how important it is to get this right and what happens when you don't. Mm. 
Um, something else that's made quite big headlines for us in the last few weeks is a poll that we did of our networks um, about whether or not CCIOs and CIOs and you know those in digital leadership positions need to be certified when they take the jobs. Uh, 59% of those that took our survey agreed that they should. Um, so I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. So I think this is a really important agenda and it goes back to what I talked about, the people side. Mm-hmm. So I really believe that... Um, this whole um, tech project will work much better when the the digital and technology experts and data experts and analysts across the system, or the CIOs and the CCIOs and their staffs, have all the benefits of being in formal professions. Yeah. Which means um, uh, the status which comes out of um, uh, proper accreditation, proper training, um, the uh, membership of organisations that give them a voice, and so on and so on. And and we, the centre, and there's a delicate balance here because the... The enthusiast, enthusiastic hand of a centre can get in the way as well as help, but I think the centre has a role in um, supporting some of the brilliant initiatives that mm. people like Andy Kinnear and Joe McDonald and others have done across the system in building up communities, banging the drum for professionalisation, yeah. making sure that we move in this direction. We are. We will enthusiastically support it. We will appoint a head of workforce looking at driving these issues from NHSX. Um, I'm, I've been keen and I've said this publicly, I want Simon Eccles, our CCIO, to be head of profession for the CCIO community. Mm-hmm. I want our new CIO to be the head of the CIO profession. Um, I think exactly the same is true in the analytic world where analysts across the system don't have the status they need, don't have the sense of belonging to a wider profession and having a voice at the centre and so on. There is a big agenda here. It's a multi-year agenda. You're starting to see brilliant things happen. You're starting to see the CCIO and CIO communities self-organise, starting to see groups like um, FedIP, for example, um, represent core communities. All of this is to the good. Yeah. I want to support it. I want us to use the centre to turbocharge it. I absolutely don't want the centre to come in and take over in a way that deadens it. Yeah, of course. So do you think they should automatically be placed on trust boards? So, uh, again, Secretary of State has been clear that somebody on every trust board needs to be able to speak for... Uh, digital transformation Uh, I mean ideally a CIO or a CCIO Um, I've spoken to a bunch of people who've sat on boards different boards across the system and I have been struck actually slightly to my surprise at their account of how much difference it makes and simply having somebody on the board who really knows about this stuff who can advise steer the discussion, make sure that it's sufficiently on the agenda, really can make a difference. So, yes, I would like to see uh, someone on every board who uh, who really knows about digital transformation. 
uh, I think having a C- either CIO or CCIO or whatever it, director of health informatics or whoever it is on every board makes makes sense. But fundamentally, I think as well, there's a bigger task, which is making sure that every board and indeed every senior leadership team feels comfortable and confident talking about these issues. Yeah. And they don't have to be deep tech experts, but they need to know enough and be confident enough that they can ask the questions, make sure that every bit of which, whatever their organisation is has a digital transformation plan, or indeed has a transformation plan which properly incorporates digital, mm-hmm. and don't do what I've seen happen, not just in health but elsewhere, uh, in some of my previous jobs, which is... Um, a nervousness about the fact that this is a technical subject causes leaderships and boards to be wary of spending too much time on it, to be a bit too keen to just accept the word of uh, an expert as um, necessarily correct and not to ask the searching questions or devote the time that they would if it was budgets or buildings or stuff which is less technical and I think that's part of what we we need to do goes back to the people agenda is invest in training and familiarizing boards senior leaderships to the point where this is absolutely an area which they are comfortable with and they don't think oh no it's tech or it's cyber security (laughs) or whatever I'm just going to keep quiet and hope somebody else is going to deal with it because this is out of my comfort zone of course um, so where are we at with achieving the five objectives that NHSX originally launched with? So um, this is, look, I mean, this is a, I'm, I'm in it for the long term. This is a long term mission or yeah. set of missions. Um, though it would be brilliant to be able to say in the first six months we've achieved our missions. This is the yeah. work of years. So where we are is over the last six, seven months since we started, we've continued to progress loads of the projects which are um, which w- fulfill these missions so for example um, we've continued our provider digitization work we've rolled out NHS 111 online we've continued to make progress with the NHS app we've expanded NHS login um, we've achieved the LTP targets of 100,000 women offered digital care records six months early. Um, The GDE project has produced over 80 blueprints, which are now being used across the system and so on and so on. So a lot of the last six months, quietly, there's been a lot of actual delivery. Also, there's been and continues to be a lot of preparation and gearing up for us to do the, the job that the system, I think, needs and wants us to do building, for example, the Centre for Data Expertise that I mentioned, building a commercial function so that we can um, support the front line more effectively as they procure technology and so on and so on. So I think that it's um, one very wise NHS leader said to me, that the trick in the NHS is not to see where you were yesterday and compare, see how much progress you've made since then, but to look at where you were six months. And I think if you look at where we were six months ago, both in ter- and where we are now, both in terms of concrete delivery of the programmes I was talking about, in terms of working out what we're doing 
um, working out what capacity we need and building that capacity in terms of building the programme, some of which we've talked about, in terms of establishing a really excellent working relationship with partners, particularly NHS Digital, I think we are in a, a, a much stronger place. Yeah. But it's, it's not a work of months. Yeah, of course. Um, so what else is on the cards for NHSX in 2020? Crikey, isn't that enough? <laughs> I mean, there's a. Look, I mean, we've um, we've got uh, reshaping uh, frontline digitisation, yeah. massive push on login, setting up this centre for data um, expertise, building a commercial function. Um, I think there's a, the list goes on. There's a range of stuff. I don't think we're, we're going to be short of things to do or things to discuss. And yeah, it doesn't sound like it by what you've just said. Uh, well, Matthew Gould, thank you so much for joining me on our podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, for all of our listeners, don't forget that Digital Health Rewired is back on the 3rd and 4th of March at Kensington Olympia. Uh, registrations are still open, so you can register at digitalhealthrewired.com. And if you've got any questions, queries or suggestions for a podcast, you can email me at adowney, that's D-O-W-N-E-Y, at digitalhealth.net. <laughs>